Father, as we come to your word, to these next minutes, I pray that uh, it wouldn't just, we wouldn't just have information, but we would have encounter. That we would receive your word with humility. That it would be engrafted in us. That it would uh, transform us and conform us more into your image. In Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. I have some notes if, if you have there just to follow along. Um, not a whole lot of notes, but I think it <clears throat> will help you some. Before we get right into this, uh, what's on my heart today, I wanted to give a little tag to last week's message. Uh, obviously, if you weren't here, you don't know what I'm talking about unless you saw, heard it on the website or in, um, on a CD out in the lobby. You can get that. But I, I went behind the, um, the spiritual battle behind the scenes that's gone on throughout the Bible. And part of it was an explanation of anti-Semitism. Why is there such a hatred for the Jewish people. It just seems so unnatural. And we saw a lot of why that went on. I'm not going to re-preach that today. But part of the uh, thing I wanted to talk about to share with that, just to tag on to that, is the reason there's still this supernatural demonic hatred for the Jewish people is that Satan has not been thrown off the planet yet. And so, though Jesus came and died and rose again and defeated, Jesus, uh, defeated Satan legally at the cross, he's coming again to completely throw Satan in the de demonic realm of the kingdom of darkness into the lake of fire. But between now and then, the Jewish people are the one people that Jesus said, I'm not coming back to earth until you the Jewish people, the mayor of Jerusalem, the prime minister of Israel, till you all see that I am the Savior. Amen. And so he's attacking them like he attacks all people. He hates all people, but he's really doubling up on the Jewish people. So that's why I wanted you, you might have wondered, well, wait a minute. Why, why is there still anti-Semitism? Well, that's why. And uh, there's a force behind that hatred. And so more than ever, church, we've been called to be watchmen on the wall for Israel to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And peace of Jerusalem means the prince of peace, Jesus, is going to come back one day and establish true and lasting peace. Now, for those of you who weren't here last week, you, that hopefully made some sense, but at least that kind of tags on that little loose end from last week. Okay. Um, today... I want to talk about something that was kind of generated in my heart a few weeks ago. Uh, Kyle called me one day, <clears throat> one afternoon, and he was planning a, a young adult event. He was like looking at some young adult activities going forward, and he said, Dad, could you prepare a little talk or topic about, for the young adults uh, about why you gave yourself to God in your 20s? And um, I said, sure, that, yeah, I, I can do that, hung up, and I, and I hung up the phone, and I thought, why did I give myself to God <laughs> in the 20s? You ever done that before? You know, someone asks you, and you're like, yeah, sure, and then you're like, what did I just do? And I did that. I had one of those moments of, I never really thought about it. And so as I began to pray about it, I was in the prayer room when he called, I got this like 
immediate download of, of why I gave my life wholeheartedly to the Lord in my 20s. And about, you know, 15 minutes in, it was kind of a, like a one-time download. I was almost through with it, and then it just hit me, wait a minute, the same reasons I gave myself to God in my 20s, in my young part of my life, are still the same reasons I give myself to God today. And yesterday I turned 60. So I, <laughs> and I, uh, so I'm officially old. Um, you know, I got wonderful birthday cards and greetings. I got uh, special birthday greetings, computer generated, happy birthday, Glenn, from my dentist and from my eye doctor. So I, I basically got the message, happy birthday, Glenn, are your teeth falling out? And are your eyes going bad? You know, I was like, well, that's so sweet, you know. But, but seriously, in my 20s, I'm doing and I'm fueled by the same fire in my heart that I'm now doing and living in my 60s. The seasons changed, lots has changed, but my core motivations have not changed. So I thought it was good timing today, being, having been a believer now for 44 years, uh, to talk about what motivates me to get up every day. So um, I want to start out, it's not, not getting to your notes yet, but I want to give the back up and give a quick testimony of my own encounter of coming to Christ. Um, I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, my parents, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Um, my parents were divorced when I was eight, and so I, I never grew up in church. Um, I mean, my Sunday morning was watching wrestling champions uh, on TV and waiting for the, the Dallas Cowboy pregame to come on at, at that time, and that was my Sunday morning. Now, when we did go, once in a while, my mom and dad would go to <clears throat> a building, but it was actually a cult. We went to the Unitarian, I'll call it a cult, because they deny the Trinity. So every now and then we would go there. I'd go there as a little child, and, and they, I didn't hear about Jesus because they didn't say that Jesus was God come in the flesh. But they did have chocolate-covered donuts. <laughs> and that's what I remembered, was they had donuts, and, but nothing about the Lord. And so I didn't grow up with any kind of Christian influence that I knew of, except I found out later that my wife's father began to pray for her future husband when my wife was three years old. And so there was somebody in Texas praying for me. Then as a, in, going into high school, my junior year of high school, 1975, in the fall, the Lord started shaking me and awaking me to my own mortality. The girl whose locker was next to mine at Del Norte High School talked all the time. She said, hey, I'm going to go down to Las Cruces for the weekend, private jet, a private plane with my family. She didn't come back on Monday because she died in a plane crash. 
So every day after that, I'd go open my locker, and you know, you'd remember, Linda used to be there. And it started to awaken me. Why am I ready? I mean, what, what, how frail is life? And then, about, and then in the spring, I started going to a youth group, Sandia Baptist Church in Albuquerque, because of the social reasons. They had pretty girls, and so I was a junior in high school, so you do the math, right? So, um, so they would have Sunday night fellowships many times, and I'd go Sunday night, but one Sunday night, March 16th, 1976, there was a drama group called the Jeremiah People, and they, through drama, skits, and singing, clearly portrayed the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And I remember when they gave the altar call, standing there, and it was like, the best I can describe it is like a water balloon of liquid love, of God's holy love, was burst over my head and just came all over me. And all I remember making was making a mental conversation, God... If you love me this much, well, then I love you too. And I don't want to be overly dramatic. I'm accused of being overly dramatic. But this is the truth. I'm in church. I'm not lying. I just said, I did, then I love you so much. And the next thing I know, I was walking down the aisle. And my feet are taking me down the aisle. And I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm going to say. And this, this pastor was really old. He was probably 60. And, he, and I'm walking up to him thinking, what am I going to say? And he just looks at me. And the, the words that came out of my mouth were, I love Jesus so much. And that night, I knew something was different because for the first time that I noticed in my life, I was actually serving somebody else without wanting to get something in return. I, I, you know, I'd usually be out of there, hey, I've got things to do, or I didn't even know if there was a youth event that night. But I was coiling up uh, cords for the Jeremiah people to help them put their stuff because they were traveling through the nation. And I'm thinking, why am I doing this? The first sign that I came to Christ was I was less selfish. Not completely selfless, but less selfish. I remember driving home that night with a deep peace in my heart, thinking, it's never going to be the same. My life's never going to be the same. Now, I had some doubts along the way. I got really concerned about my doubts. So I called the youth pastor and said, I'm really doubting if I'm born again. And he said, well, the fact that you're doubting means you are born again. And from that time on, I didn't doubt but I got water baptized the next week <clears throat> and I went up and they counseled me about what that, what that was about. And um, I know I have to say that uh, though I did, haven't, wasn't walking perfectly for sure, I mean, I stumbled many times as a high school student, uh, but, but I began to live life differently. I began to, you know, when I made my decision for Christ, what Scripture calls it is you make Jesus Lord and Savior. 
So I began, I said, I'm making Jesus Lord of my life. Now, what does Lord mean? I'll just say it a couple, two little phrases. It means living God-focused and God-yielded. That's what lordship means. I began to live my life God-focused and God-yielded, which means I did some practical things. I began to read this word daily, but I didn't read it because I had to. I read it because I was fascinated to learn. And I read it as if he was talking right to me. And then I read it also with the intention to obey what I was reading. So those two things were the first thing I really started doing. And then I got, second thing I did was I got connected to that local church. I started attending Sunday school and they had Sunday night training union. Man, the Baptists like to have meetings. So, so we had Sunday morning Sunday school, church, then Sunday night, and then Tuesday night visitation, and then Wednesday night church again. And I don't think I did, I, I, don't, I know I didn't go to all of them every week, but I began to get connected to the local church. I began to tithe. They talked to me about tithing, giving a tenth of what I brought in, and I just started working. I worked at a, a restaurant there in Albuquerque. I think the minimum wage was $2.75 an hour, something like that. Um, yeah, my paychecks were below $100. <laughs> but I began to connect that way. I began to, going on into college at Baylor, I began to get radical about prayer, about developing a prayer life. Um, and, you know, I began to then... Um, last thing that I kind of thought through there was I began to um, make quality choices in my life based on what I thought would bring God the most glory. That was huge because I, <clears throat> I, I, I dated girls based on where they were with the Lord as the primary thing. And then the Lord blessed me. My wife's in the nursery right now, but um, all I can say is God pays well when you, when you, <clears throat> when you make the choices um, with that. So, amen. Well, let, look at your notes there for the, the rest of the time. I want to really talk about three reasons, because that was the real original question Kyle called me with. He said, why did you give yourself to God in your 20s? And as I thought about it, I thought there are three main reasons that I gave myself to God in my 20s, and I'm still now giving myself to God uh, today. There are three, are, I, these three, three words, desire, evidence, and reward. <clears throat> God put a desire in me to love him and to do his will when I got born again. Evidence, many times over the last 44 years, I've seen God move in supernatural power. I'm going to talk about some of those things in a minute. I've seen God move in supernatural power, which makes me want to see him move like that more today. How many of you are with me on that? Amen. How many of you have seen God move in power in the past? Amen. Well, I left on your notes there. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I left little stars there that are blank for you to go home and fill in your own power encounters that you've had with God in the past. The third motivation was reward. The truth is, 
We, we do things because we get stuff out of it. Is that okay to say? God understands. It's called enlightened self-interest. Giving myself to God back in my 20s and still today meets the deepest longings of my heart. So why would I change? Why would I do anything differently? Let me start there with the first one, desire. I'm going to talk a little more about these. The short answer with desire was I basically wanted my life to count. 16 years old, I thought, why am I here? I want my life to make a difference. I want my life to have a lasting impact. And shortly thereafter, they asked me to serve in the church as a sixth grade boy Sunday school teacher. And I remember one Sunday really vividly, It was during the opening assembly where it was like all the different classes were together for Jesus Loves Me song or whatever. And I remember seeing a sixth grade boy off in the corner with a runny nose going, you know, like snorting and doing that. And I zoomed in on him. And the Lord spoke in my heart. I mean, I didn't know what that was, but I heard this little thoughts in my head. Do you see that boy? I said, yes, Lord. He said, he, everything in his life is pointing him in the wrong direction. And, if, and I thought after that, if I can give my life to helping point people in the right direction, my life will count. And that started this fuel. God put that desire in my heart to make a difference. Then when I got to Baylor, I think a Baptist student union um, leader got up and he was like a room full of hundreds of college students. He said, there are two things in life that are eternal. Two things in this life are, are eternal and will never pass away. The word of God and people. And if you can invest your life in the two things that will not pass away, your life will be worth something. So regardless of your vocation that you're hearing me, regardless of how you live each day to make income, to to touch others in other ways, you are to, we are all called to invest in the eternal word of God and in people because neither of them are going to pass away. And that's what got me going. The second part of the desire was God put a love in my heart. When I got born again, he gave me a new heart. I think I put that in your notes. He gave me a new heart. Scripture says he takes out a heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. He gave me a new heart that wanted to wrap up cords after Jeremiah people. He gave me a new heart that wanted to love him more than anything else in my life. He gave me a new heart that wanted to then care about other people, to love him and to love other people, and to live for him. I think they interviewed George W. Bush back before he ever ran for president, and they asked the question on the campaign trail or somewhere, who's the most influential person in history? You know what he answered? He said, Jesus Christ. B, 
because he gave me a new heart. I love that. So it was desire then and it's desire now. Romans 5 verse 5, it's in your notes. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Not our own love, but the very quality of love that is God. Remember, God is love. The love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4, 19 says, We love Him because He first loved us. So I'm not any, anything special as in that term. I mean, we're all special. But I'm loving Him not because I'm a pastor, but because he put a love in my heart for him. In fact, everything I'm saying today is not because I'm a pastor. It's because I met the man who changed my life and gave me a new heart and forgave me and continues to forgive me. And I stumble and I rise up again and I wander and he pulls me back again and I fall and he says, get up, Glenn. That's, that's for all of us to know that. This is not a story of perfection at all. It's a story of God's, it's my testimony of God's mercy and grace. The second one is evidence. Evidence. I've just seen too much. <laughs> I've seen too many signs and wonders and things I cannot give a rational explanation for to ever draw back and go, well, I think I'll just not believe. I've seen too much. The man with the experience is never at the mercy of the man with the theory. Well, I don't know if healing's for today. Well, talk to my bank account because I was going to spend $1,500 to, to sew up a torn labrum in my shoulder and I prayed, they prayed for me and I got healed and I didn't get the surgery. But the MRI said it was going to keep tearing. So you can't tell me God doesn't heal today. I've seen too much. Do I live for the seeing? No. We don't live for signs and wonders, but God gives us the signs and wonders. And it, in, in, we, when we remember them, it energizes our faith to keep believing and keep giving ourselves all the way. Signs, point, wonders, make you wonder. That's what signs and wonders are. Signs point you to Jesus and wonders Fill you with awe and wonder, and you want, he's the wonderful counselor. He's wonderful. He's counselor. So I want to just share a couple of them real quick. Um, right away, after I was at that Sunday school class in summer at summertime from Baylor, uh, that my I did take a, I took a youth group outside of Albuquerque <clears throat> called First Baptist Church Los Chavez, New Mexico, little tiny tiny town. Had about six or seven young people on a Sunday night. And one of their friends named Jimmy had gotten away from the Lord. So when it was prayer request time, they're like, we want to pray for Jimmy. And I said, okay, let's pray for him. We got in a circle and, I, and I'd been learning about faith. And I said, let's all just picture Jimmy in this circle again, singing and pray, praying with us and giving his heart to Jesus. And they're like, okay. 
I mean, he'd been away from church for months. So we get in our circle, we're praying, and we said, thank you. And one of the students said, thank you for Jimmy. Thank you that he's going to come and he's going to give his heart to Jesus. And we open our eyes and Jimmy is in the circle. Jimmy was holding hands in the circle. He got and broke some arms. I heard a little laughing while we were praying. I said, Jimmy, what are you doing here? He said, well, I was riding my mini bike, mini bike, back uh, in front of the church. And something, I was with my buddies, and something just told me, or something, for, yeah, something just told me to get, to get off and come in. You talk about an obedient youth group after that. They were like, God is real. God loves people, you know. Prayer works. And then they, they knew. That was, that was a, a big one. Another one, when I, remember I said I wanted my life to count? When I left a, a ministry in Waco, Texas, to go up to uh, Church on the Rock in Rockwell, Texas, to learn more about prayer, I, my apartment was all cleaned out and... I had, I had prayed for a young man at a youth camp that summer. I was getting ready to move. But that summer we had a youth camp. He wasn't in our youth group. I prayed for this young man, and he had full-blown demonic activity in his life. And I want to go into the whole thing. That's not important. But it was very clear he, would, he carried a satanic Bible around the Midway High School. And others were into, into that back in that day. And... Um, had a really, what I thought was a pretty successful prayer time with him at the camp. Didn't see him for two months. I'm, I'm leaving my apartment, and my, the only thing left in my apartment was a phone answering machine. Remember those with the reel-to-reel? Beep, you know. So I'm going to unplug it, and there's a light flashing. And I go, and before I'm like, well, I'll hear what it says. And uh, I hit play, and it was the mother I never knew her, never met her. She was uh, a leader, a, a, a deacon's wife at uh, another Baptist church. And she said, you don't know me, um, but I want to, wow. She said, I want to thank you for giving me my son back. And uh, I thought, that's what we do when we just say yes to Jesus. I just said, when I got born again, I just said, I just want to do your will. You put a desire in my heart. And then I, to hear that from a mom. I've never regret, regretted giving my life wholeheartedly to Jesus. Because I've got one life. I want to make it count. Signs and wonders. I saw Kim White, an eighth grader at our Christian school, Three inches shorter leg than the other. Scoliosis, bad. We gathered around. We watched her leg come out. And then she came back to school about Monday or Tuesday of the week following. Had been to the doctor, got a new x-ray on her spine. Said, said Mr. Hubbard, and showed everybody the two x-rays. Before prayer, like an S. After prayer, 95% straight. It wasn't 100%. I don't know why, but I'll take 95. 
I saw a boy named Puff Puff. We called him Puff Puff in the youth group. He had to wear a, 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 a lift, a shoe, like a Frankenstein shoe because he had such bad scoliosis. We prayed for him. His, leg, his legs evened up. His spine straightened out. The next week, he comes to youth group with a pair of Converse Magic Johnson shoes. I've seen it. I've seen too much. A man named Larry Nichols had cancer wrapped around his spine. And see, as I'm talking about this, you know what I'm doing right now? I'm doing this very on purpose. These are stones of remembrance to give God glory. But, but in prayer this morning, my daughter Grace had this word. God is, God is removing stones that are bad and replacing them with stones of remembrance. So as I'm talking right now, the Lord is removing stones of unbelief, cynicism. God doesn't do it anymore. Is God real? Does God care about me? I watched a, a young eighth grader walk in with the coolest tennis shoes he'd ever had. I watched a, a man who was our janitor, our, our, our facilities guy at the church, had cancer wrapped around his spine have been given a month to live max. They could not operate or do chemo because it was just constricting his spine. He, we prayed for him. We spoke the word after communion service. For the next few weeks, I don't want to go into graphic detail, but the cancer was, let, was dead and leaving his body. He lived for years. He did all of our lockers and did all this renovation all of that. A girl named Sherilyn, my college friend's sister, there were, um, no, my college, you know, yeah, college friend's sister had a, a, a tumor around her back about the size of a tennis ball. He called, said, can you pray for her? I, I like, I've never prayed for something like that. Um, I got to hurry. Um, so, but the Lord put in my heart fast and pray. I go in, I'm just giving you a couple of them, but these are stones, okay? I, I'm like, I never told the church this one before, I don't think. I come in, she's get, given weeks to live, again, because it was there, untreatable. Um, and I watched after, and I went in after fasting, prayed, uh, laid my hands on it, did, did other kind of prayer, but I felt that tumor go from tennis ball down to like a little, like a ping pong ball. And didn't go all the way, but she lived years and years after I, I, I lost touch later. I've seen too much. I've seen the Lord do provisions. He's given me financial blessing when I didn't tell anybody I needed it. He's brought, had people give money, give finances to, so I could go back and go what I thought God was calling me to do. I needed a bed. I slept on a floor for six months when I was at a church learning to pray and I drive back from, from Foley's one night to go to a prayer, but I was like, Lord, I sure would like a bed. All right? I sure would, my back is hurting, six months on the floor. I get to my door and there's a bed on my door. My roommate said, I said, what is this? He said, I don't know. A guy just knocked on the door a few minutes ago and said, does anybody here need a bed? This is who God is. This is who he is. 
Father, even right now, I ask that stones of rejection, stones of unbelief that would say, God, you, you don't really know me. The Lord knows the hairs of your head. He knows your needs. Give yourself to him all the way and he will meet the great needs of your heart. Amen. Rachel, if you guys, if you could come up, if y'all could come up. Um, If you'd show this book up there, please, for me. The third one was reward. I realized I didn't have language for this in my 20s, but the Lord was meeting the seven longings of my heart. And psychologists and theologians agree, God's created every human being with seven basic longings. And all of those longings are ultimately fulfilled when we give our life to Jesus Christ. The longing to love and be loved. Remember what's the first thing I sensed when I came to Christ? Liquid love. The longing to be fascinated. I have seen over and over with signs and wonders, signs and fascinations, as well as I would say most than, more than anything, the longing for me to be. See, God, the fascinating God put a longing in you for fascination so you and him would stay connected forever and ever. Because it's not boring when the God is, wants to give you whiz bangs. The God who moves meets our needs of longing, longing for fascination, for love, for beauty. The longing, I put these in your notes, it's a little, little paragraph B there under reward. A longing for greatness. Don't deny your longing for greatness. It's just for most people, your greatness is going to be in the eternal kingdom when he gives you reward and cities. Uh, a, a, a guy we love, Stuart Greaves at the International House of Prayer, he said, I don't, I'm not ashamed of this. People say, what do you want? In lot? What, are you, what are you doing with your life? He said, I'm running for mayor. They're like, running for mayor? He said, I'm running for mayor in the eternal city because Jesus said he's going to give people cities to rule and reign over. So the longing for greatness. Most of us, it's rewards in heaven. The longing for intimacy to where you are known. God knows your secrets. He knows the love you have for him. He knows the sacrifices you make. The longing to know and to be known. And then... There's the longing to be wholehearted. If you don't have anything worth dying for, you don't have much worth living for. The longing to make a lasting impact. I wanted my life to count. I'll never forget that answering machine. I want to land with this because I feel like this is where the Lord would have us to to land today. I'm not, obviously there's a book about the seven longings, but I want to land on the longing for beauty. The beautiful God put a longing in every one of us to see beauty, 
and to be beautiful. Don't deny that longing. Many people pursue that longing for beauty in an illegitimate way or a way that hurts them or is not or, or takes up all their time and energy from looking to the beauty of the Lord, to the beauty that really is, is huge. But there's a scripture closing with these verses. Let the Psalm 90, the psalmist says, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. The beauty that God possesses is the very beauty that he imparts to us through his salvation. Now, why am I talking about this? When you give yourself to God fully, wherever age you are in life, if you're, if you're in your teens, keep giving yourself to God. If you're in your 20s, if you're in your 80s, keep giving yourself to God. He will fill you with internal beauty. He will bless you with external beauty. There's such a countenance on so many of you that's, that's the beauty of the Lord. And He will make you eternally beautiful. I don't have time to do this one. But in the eternal city, every one of us is going to be physically, indescribably beautiful. Because God's the beautiful God. But I want to land here because there's a verse in Isaiah 61, I think it is, verse 3. What a verse. It says, I will give you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. God says, I have a plan. The ash heap of your life where you have burned with lust and pride for the wrong things, the wood of your life that you've allowed to burn and I've allowed to burn in wrong directions is now a bunch of ashes. It's an ash heap. And the Lord says, I have a plan. If you'll give me your ashes, I'll give you my beauty. Ecclesiastes says, God makes everything beautiful in its time. I don't care where you Feel there's an ash heap in your life right now. Maybe it's relationship. Maybe it's a feeling of guilt or shame. Maybe it's just some just residual, just habit that dogs you, some uh, offenses, all kinds of things that where there's this, this, you're just like, ah, I look at my life and I see an ash heap over here. The Lord says, will you give that to me? And let me give you my beauty. Let me make that beautiful. Let's stand up if you would. I want you to come forward in this altar. If there's an area of your life that you say, I want beauty for ashes. Just come and stand up here at the altar right now. Our, our prayer teams, if you can come up behind them. There's an exchange at the altar right now that I'm seeing the Lord wants to do. He says, you, you give me that area that you're still feeling is, is hanging on to you and let me exchange it for my beauty. I want to turn it around. If you need a turnaround, maybe it's physical health, 
this is for you. Come, come forward and let him give you beauty of healing. If it's a wounded relationship, if you, if you still have a, a wound from a relationship, be it uh, social or family, that's right, good. Come on, come on up and come with expectation. There's going to be exchange today. Just come and, and uh, you, you can just turn. You can just turn. Yeah, why don't you just come and face. Want everybody just turn and face face me right now. Just everyone else, come 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 on up for the for this exchange. Maybe there's a mourning. A, something died. A dream died. A past hope, and he wants to give you oil of joy. The mourning. Just come because I believe the Lord wants to do some exchanging. We're going we're gonna to let the worship team lead us. If you want your life to count, if you need supernatural power, come forward. You heard testimony about supernatural power. I'm, 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 I'm on design wanting this altar to get really full <laughs> because I gave testimony of supernatural power and you and if faith if faith rose up and you come forward and say I need supernatural power just you you say well what good is it I'm only 10 feet away it's taking the step of faith saying I believe I believe that the God who who healed that man's spine is the God who's present today if you say, I, 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 I want to give my life to the Lord fully. You know, you've never made that conscious commitment, but you say, I'm, I'm making the commitment to make my life count. That's, that's all I did. I boiled it down. You know, maybe you're, maybe you're 14 years old here today. Just, if you want your life to count, come forward. You might remember this day and go, I remember that day I just came forward and said, I want my life to count. He took that and he led me. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would release supernatural power to your church. Do it again and do it more. <laughs> Lord, hear our commitment today. Lord, I do it. It doesn't matter. I, I, right now, Lord, I sign up again. I give myself, what good is it if I get up here and sweat and froth and don't mean it? I give myself to you. I ask you meet every longing of our hearts and cause tree, desire to be realized to be a tree of life, Lord. Meet our longings because you long to meet them. And as we sing, as the worship team sings over us, just everyone exchange the ashes now and say, I receive beauty. Give the morning. Yeah, you're already doing it. Go ahead.